Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Clyde McGrady is because Clyde was part of our February 29th, 2020, 12-hour live show, and I am catching up with all of the people that were involved with that show throughout the month of March. At the time, Clyde was a features writer for CQ Roll Call. Now he's a features writer for The Washington Post. We talk a lot about that. We talk a little bit, very, very little bit, about uh, the Atlanta Falcons and Chicago Bears because Clyde has also been part of our Bears series. This is the part of the show I don't like, and this is me telling you we now have a Patreon account. Please consider donating at youmethemeverybody.com. It's in this podcast description, and it's on our About page. Here's my conversation with Clyde. It's been a year since I've seen you in person. How are you? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing well, rel- relatively well. Um, I, I I can't complain. You know, I think I'm just dealing with a lot of the same things that most people sure. are. You know, just kind of going stir crazy with the the groundhog day sameness of everything. Well, I'm your sure. life isn't the same as a lot of people's. You've uh, you've your life is different than it was a year ago. Yes, it is. Um, a year ago, um, I was with. CQ roll call and now I'm with uh, the Washington Post uh, so my, my my job has has changed um, um, I, I I was doing herd on the hill and you know now I'm a, a features writer for the style section um, covering you know race and identity in America so it's been a pretty big change that's a pretty important job too <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, and 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 any time it's it's important, but especially what happened, you know, last summer around the protests of um, regarding the the killings of Breonna Taylor and and George Floyd, it has kind of exploded into an even more salient issue. You know, you have corporate brands now saying Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is an interesting development. Now, where are you right now? Uh, I'm in my bedroom right now. And that is in what city? Uh, Washington, D.C. And you are going to where this weekend? Um, So, I don't know if it'll be this weekend, but I am going to Minnesota okay. uh, soon to cover the trial of uh, Officer Derek Chauvin. So you he is a- the person who shot... Uh, or not shot, but who kneeled on George Floyd's neck. Yeah, so you're going around the country following the funnest things possible um, for the indefinite future. Do you think you're going to view this country any differently after? That's kind of a loaded question, but do you see yourself changing at all in this position? Um, I don't know. I mean, I hope to to learn as much as, you know, explain the country to our readers um i'm i'm interested in getting out there and hearing from people and and learning more about the country so maybe it will change me i don't know um who 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 knows you know i guess you have to be open uh, a good reporter should be open and curious to what's happening around them so it, yeah it could change me do you worry that you've lived and worked in washington dc so long that you've maybe been in an accidental bubble uh, I think that is kind of an insecurity of a lot of DC journalists. Really? I think I don't want to speak for all of them. Please but... speak for all journalists. <laughs> but 
But it, especially after 2016, because there was all this talk about, you know, bubbles and, oh, you missed the Trump phenomenon. You, you underestimated Trump because you were in your bubbles, just talking to each other and not getting out in the country and talking to actual voters. Um, so I, I, I think it only increased during the Trump era. Um, but I, I really do uh, enjoy like getting outside of DC because there, there does tend to be, you tend to miss things if you only talk to your, like your peers and immediate friends. And you know, if you're on, on Twitter a lot, a lot of times for journalists, it is, you know, journalists talking to other journalists. Um, but you know, it's, it's just good to be reminded that there are different pockets and there are different viewpoints, you know, out outside of dc and i mean honestly you don't even have to go outside of dc really um there are the the dc that we talk about like official dc and that usually comprises of you know lawmakers and staffers and journalists lobbyists but dc is a city with real people in it you know like real working people um just like anywhere else in the country and I mean, you can just talk to them, and that, and 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 that's good too. Just to to get outside of the, I guess the the journalism journalism bubble. Um, I, I, when I went to, please oh, continue. I went to report on a you know the the Senate runoffs in Georgia, and back in December, uh, uh, Reverend Warnock and Kelly Kelly Leffler's race specifically, and you know I love stuff like that. Just to get to get out and talk to voters and see what they're actually thinking about and not just what I think they're thinking about or concerned about. So I really enjoyed that. You were in Georgia for a while, right? Uh, I was there about four or five days and okay. I'm also originally from Georgia. Yeah. I thought you were there for like a month or two. Oh no. I had a colleague who did essentially move, <laughs> move to Got Georgia it. for the runoff, but I didn't. The reason why I ask is because I would think that for someone like you, that would be so nice, but just to not be here, but to be able to report on one story in a different place for that long of time, that's not necessarily that depressing. No, no, that's no, especially if it was my home state. Yeah. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be depressing at all. (laughs) But, um, this is why I'm wondering about what you're going to this weekend. I'm, uh, what you're doing is incredibly important, but what you're doing is most likely going to be emotionally uh, tolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think about that? Because when you were writing Hurt on the Hill, I don't think it's nearly as um, emotionally taxing to write about pretty much anything you wrote about for CQ Roll Call, other than maybe when the coronavirus started. But Yeah, so uh, I... That is a good point because Hurt on the Hill tends to be um, a bit lighter, you know, it's it's personality driven. But after coronavirus, um, it was not that, you know, that formula kind of went out the window. And also in the in the wake of, of George Floyd uh, and Breonna Taylor, I did some heavier stories. Yeah. You know, I talked to lawmakers about receiving the like to to blackmail lawmakers about receiving the talk about how to to uh interact with 
uh, law enforcement officers, which was a pretty heavy story to hear those to hear their their you know their personal stories about that. So it did it did get a bit heavier. But yes, you're right. Anybody who talks about these issues, and I think um, especially like if you're a reporter of color and you're you're dealing with this, um, some have talked about the a, a certain burden you can feel having to do that. Because your natural inclination is to kind of be detached and, you know, remove your remove yourself and your emotions from the story. Um, So I don't know what it will be like. I think it'll I think it'll be fine. I think I'm I'm pretty capable of of doing that. And it it shouldn't be a problem. But you're right. These are these are very sensitive issues and you have to report them and write about them with with care. Um, you, you can't be um, imprecise with with how you talk about these things. And I, I think if I just do that and stay focused on that, it'll be fine. Because you're a features reporter, do you feel like you have somewhat of a, maybe not luxury, but some, some more time to get things right <laughs> than, say, a beat reporter? Yeah, those are those are two you're right those are two very different writing schedules and metabolisms beat reporters um they have to turn around things faster and you know feature writing i do consider it a luxury somewhat to be able to let things uh gestate and go a little bit uh deeper um i think it's more uh that's more suited to my personality uh, someone who does like to kind of ruminate on things and then and and then write about them. Um, so I I really enjoy that aspect of feature writing. Are you in? I mean, how long have you been at the post? Ooh, oh, uh, my first day was October twenty sixth, the week before the election. So I'm I'm still very new. I've only been into the newsroom uh, twice. Yeah. The first time was election night. I had to pee, um, and I was down by Black Lives Matter Plaza, mm-hmm. so I walked over to use the bathroom in the post building, and that was my first time. And then the second time was just to pick up some uh, masks for my trip to Georgia. Now, do you – this is a weird question because maybe it's a load. I mean, all questions are loaded inherently, but do you feel the weight of the new position or because you're not actually in the office, it's really not that different than your former place of employment. Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, you mean, do I feel like, uh, Oh, you're at the Washington exactly. Post, right? like, like, and all the, the if, legacy that comes with that. If we're talking about sports, like you went from like, I don't know, the Grizzlies to the Lakers. Oh yeah, I get where. Oh, okay, yeah, like, yeah. And um, there's nothing wrong with the Grizzlies. Like they're still an NBA team, but it's the Lakers. You know, you're at the right, post. Right. Yes, uh, you know, uh, Bob Woodward and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and and all these uh, legends that have that have come through. All these they're, legends they're that you got to leave your wife. You got to leave your wife to go date somebody else. I get it. <laughs> Legendary. Yeah. Um. It. Uh, yes and no. Um, it's something I'm still adjusting to, right? Because I don't think you can substitute 
the buzz of just being in a newsroom, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've never been in the Washington Post newsroom, say the night of the state of state of the union, or, um, I mentioned, you know, I just stopped in election night to pee, but I've never been in when, you know, um, on election night with a full newsroom and, you know, there's this, um, real sense of, uh, of camaraderie about getting these stories out and, and, and analysis and all that stuff. So no, I haven't, you know, it hasn't sunk in completely. Um, I'm anxious to get into the newsroom and frankly, just meet, uh, yeah. some of my peers and not just, you know, slack them or, or have phone calls. Yeah, how's the Slack situation? Because you're the new guy, so in a way, do you feel like you know people better because they're using Slack more often? Um, somewhat. Slack and Twitter, you, you get some idea of their personality, but I don't know how well you could really know someone just based on you know their tweets and Slacks. Now, I want to make an insulting comment about journalists. You don't fall into this category, but I know in real life and both digital life, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen people, all journalists that are incredibly smooth and funny and witty and conversational on Twitter. And then when you see them in person, it's difficult for them to make eye contact. I understand that, but they all tend to be journalists and it's very hard to score that circle for me. Uh, yeah, I think that, that that's probably broadly, um, <laughs> has to do with internet culture. Um, I think there are, are, are a lot of people who are like that, who just, you know, maybe find themselves freer online, but maybe, I don't know, social interaction is, is tougher. Okay, so um, I guess the question is, do you, know, you a find, joke about, do you find yourself freer online? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I do not. You don't online. tweet like that. <laughs> I just, tr- I, you know, have a, um, a weird relationship with Twitter in, in that, um, you know, part of me is like, you know, just never tweet. Yeah. It's optional. Come from this, but it is a place like there are a lot of good jokes on Twitter. I mean, there just are. Um, and I love scrolling through for the jokes and there, there are sometimes, people or things I get exposed to that I just wouldn't in my everyday life. So you kind of take the good with the bad, but the, the bad Twitter is when you're just scrolling through looking at, um, I guess people who are just dropping bad takes about things and just getting angry about it, which is, I don't think is a very productive use of my time. Well, but sometimes but... I can, I can get into that trap. Yeah, it we happens. all do. That's why it exists. It That's happens. why we're all on it. I mean, I have a thing where it automatically deletes everything after I think two or three months. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good. (laughs) I think more people are doing that. I've been doing this for years and I, I think I've said this on the show dozens of times, but I had altered my Facebook account pretty much since the first year where like over the course of two days as an experiment, I liked every single thing that was mentioned to me. So Mm -hmm. my algorithm has been completely useless for the entire time I've had it. And it's great because it actually shows me a feed that is maybe more indicative of your average Facebook user than something that'd be targeted towards me. Yeah. How do you feel about targeted ads? Fine. Do you hate them? 
It's yeah, fine. I, I got to admit, I feel fine about it because, like, oh, I do need this. I was searching for <laughs> some underwear. Thank but you. But how, how is that any different this. than, like, a major metropolitan newspaper two decades ago? Or even now, just polling their subscribers of, like, all right, this is who, how many people that are of this gender or this race that make this income, and here's the ad. Like, it's the same. It's just, it's fine. It's probably more efficient. Now. Yeah, it's more efficient. And <clears throat> if it's, I had to guess. It's fine, and whatever like don't interact if you don't want it i don't like anything on instagram so it doesn't affect me as much and when i'm browsing i'm usually incognito so it doesn't affect me as much so the targeted ads are similar to the facebook feed where like it makes no sense like i don't play video games why are you showing me video game ads yeah i think the only thing i like on instagram are you know like my friends announcing good news or pictures of their kids um like at their birthday parties or something. But like, like I that. won't, I have yet to post a photo of my child anywhere. Oh yeah. I, I know some people have, um, are, are you like one of those people who, all right, this kid is not of age, so they don't have agency over their image online. So I will not post photos of them. Yeah, online. Kind is that of. Your, yeah. Yeah. But also yeah. like, it's not even just that. It's also like, you don't get to You're a creep. Yeah. I don't post photos of yeah. myself. The only stuff I post is promotion for the show. Yeah. Which has probably hurt me overall, but whatever. I think sometimes people also forget that a lot of people are looking at this. It's weird. Like you put things online in a public forum where, Mm -hmm. you know, ostensibly thousands of people, if you have like thousands of followers or even millions, and then, you know, you can't be surprised if like some random stranger sees something because sometimes you think, oh, I'm just like talking to my friends, but no, actually thousands of people are looking at this interaction online. And I I agree with that. And I think about that, but am I just being a hypocrite? Cause I'm doing this, but I think the main thing is like, I know I'm doing this. There's consent between you and I that we're doing this, that if anyone misconstrues it fine. Oh, well, that's different than here's a photo of me and a friend at a ball game. And here's a blah, blah, blah. And now also go ahead, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Also, this has more context, right? This is a, um, you know, minutes long conversation that has more context. I guess somebody could like chop up an audio file, like a 10 second clip of this yeah, but or that's whatever, difficult. and no take something out of context. But Twitter and social media just allows things to be decontextualized to the point that, you know, like you, you have no idea what the, orig- the original meaning or intent was behind it. Like, how often have we seen some ten-second clip from I don't know, like fifteen years ago, like show up online and some someone is like, "Oh God, I can't believe!" Like, and yeah. you don't know any of the context behind the clip other than the ten seconds. And of course, because there are a million other things we need to get to, are we going to bother to go look up what was actually going on? No, there's like an endless feed. Sorry, I have to I have to get to the next thing. Sure. I have to click on the next app. Also have a job to do, um, probably. I don't know. It's interesting that, that you think people get hung up or not hung up on certain things, and then the obvious is just completely ignored. Um, <laughs> we're like, to me, to me, Jesus Christ, I think images matter, right? And uh-huh. you're going to go cover a trial that without those images – I don't know if you'd be covering that trial. I don't know if the same protests happened without that footage, right? Yeah. So one of the questions that popped up 
you know, after after the, the George Floyd video was why now? I've I've heard people ask that question. Why now? Right there, this has been going on for so long. Uh, black people, especially, have been talking about police brutality since there have been police. Um, there have been killings of, of unarmed people. And yet, this is what sparked the, the, the citywide protests across the country and reckonings in all these institutions and, you know, the phrase Black Lives Matter going mainstream. I mean, you had Nick Saban saying, you know, all lives don't matter until Black Lives Matter. If you would have asked me that in 2015, I would have thought you were crazy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, or Mitt, I mean, Mitt Romney at a Black Lives Matter rally. Like, what What changed? And I, I don't know. I guess it was just an eight minute. The fact that it was eight minutes and people were cooped up in their houses under quarantine and had nothing to do but, you know, doom scroll. I think that just set off a reaction in people. But yeah, it's 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 interesting because we've seen people killed on video too. Even Eric Gardner didn't didn't um, spark that kind of outrage. So I don't know. So and images are images are important. I'm not asking this knowing the answer, and I'm not ex- expecting you to know the answer because it's a hypothetical. But in a way, are you at all worried that you'll have less eyes on you, fewer eyes on you, once the vaccine is broadly distributed? Once the pandemic is seemingly over, um, I haven't thought about that actually. So I guess the, no. The, the answer <laughs> is no. I, just, I don't think so. You mean will like race be a, a salient of an issue, yeah. or what do you mean? Yeah, that's exactly oh. what I mean. Once people are able to go back to offices and quote unquote live their lives like how they used to. Will this matter as much? Will this be at the forefront of people's uh, conversations? Okay, so yes, I have thought about um, that in in the context of like protest, right? Yeah. Because I I just mentioned people were at home stuck in quarantine mm-hmm. when when the George Floyd uh, killing happened, and what happens this summer when people are like, okay, we're back out living our lives and. Let's say another video emerges, and also Trump is not the president, right? Yeah. Um, I think that also mattered. So Joe Biden's the president. People are out living their lives. Is there going to be a mass protest if there's another killing? I don't know. Um, that's the the context that I thought about it, and yeah. not so much like, oh, will I have anything to write about? Because I will definitely. Oh yeah, unfortunately, yes, you will have something. Uh, to write about and I do I, I, I think people will, will still read it the question is what kind of action like follows that I, I, I don't have the answer to that one I'm oddly hopeful because I do believe that every generation is slightly better than the last and I think this was mostly fueled by people between the ages of like 15 and 30 and mm-hmm. I like them more than the people in my generation <laughs> And so in a way I'm hopeful and I think that what we're all living through the pandemic is a, is a scar that Mm -hmm. I don't think will be easily dismissed no matter how long you don't, even though you don't want to be in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I think 
like with regards to <clears throat> um, like protests around racial injustice, I, I do think this is my theory that every generation just has a different tolerance level to like what they're used to. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like someone in 1930s America, which was a horrible time to be black in this country. Um, this is still Jim Crow. I mean, we're in the era of like just lots of lynchings. I do wonder, was there like an old person who was like, well, you know, at least we're not slaves anymore. Like, I wonder if somebody had that mentality just because things were maybe ostensibly better than when they were younger or something like that. And like the, you, you, you kind of had this, um, with Jim Clyburn, he, he, he pushed back against, um, some of the defund the police uh rhetoric and people got mad at him um but jim jim clavern was a civil rights uh advocate i mean he'd been to jail right and now he is kind of the the old guard and you have like a younger generation saying no we're not going to tolerate this and i think that's happened with like al sharpton as well like younger people kind of got up there and you know snatched the microphone and said no this, we're not tolerating this. So I, I just think it just regenerates um, every every generation. So thanks we'll for taking this time. plays out. Thank you for taking time to do this, and good luck, and I'll be reading your stuff, and I think uh, a lot of people are going to be reading your stuff, and uh, I will love to talk to you again in person uh, once that is yeah. safe, and uh, even if it's not safe by this fall, I would love to talk to you about the Atlanta the Falcons <laughs> football again. Oh God, um, I'm <laughs> nervous about what they're gonna do with that draft pick. Like they're anyway. That's a separate conversation. I do think that yes. the Bears and the Falcons are like spiritual siblings. Of like, you're always like right in the middle. Uh, we've had, I think we've had better offenses. Oh, for we sure. Have just we're known more for choking. I guess you guys are known. We have a double more for doink. Just not getting it together. We have oh, yeah, a the double, double doink. doink. The double doink. That's right. That's right. Yeah, your I Matt Ryan failure doink. is on par with. It's not. It's unfortunately on par with our double doink. <laughs> just on the biggest stage, the biggest sports stage in the entire world. But because it was with. against Brady, for some reason, it doesn't feel like that much of a collapse, and just more like, oh, just Brady doing Brady shit. Yeah, I guess that makes it somehow better. I don't know. You lost to the greatest guy who has zero problematic ideals. It's fine. (laughs) I mean, because of that, I think I blame America for putting all that resistance pressure on the Falcons. Like, because Brady had the MAGA hat, and then so so you're blaming the resistance movement on the Trump team, and then the Falcons were the like. That's it. It was so silly. It annoyed me to no end. Like, leave your leave leave your resist your your Trump hatred off of my team. Yeah, football's not political at all. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Leave that out of it. Leave it out of it. Well, uh, good luck with those inherently wrong ideas. All right. All right. You, me, them. Everybody is made by me, Brandon Weatherby. Our theme music is by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Jillian Ron. You can hear all 13 years of shows at you, me, them, everybody. 
Spotify.com. If you're listening to this in Spotify or on iTunes, the last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you meet them, everybody.com. Our Patreon page is on our About page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff, at sign Y-M-T-E. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping, friends and family I'll be keeping. 